like I didn't even realize that this girl had a father until I think I'd watched the show when it first came to Netflix and I was like binge watching the whole thing and I was like wait she got a daddy <laughs> right same like because like I said I've never even at her wedding do we don't I don't think we meet Mr. Kim I saw a lot of Asians. I couldn't tell you which one is her father because, again, he'd never been introduced, right? So even if he was there, how would we know which one was him? Hello, everyone. This is Alex. And this is Em. Welcome to the latest episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic. This is the podcast for nostalgic Gen X and millennials and binge watchers of all ages. On this podcast, we'll be discussing what we love, what we hate, and what's just a bit problematic about the TV and movies that we're addicted to. And do a little bit of rewriting where necessary. On today's episode, we'll be diving into the adventures of TV's most memorable mother-daughter duo and reviewing Gilmore Girls. The WB made several moves after the success of teen and young adult series like Buffy, Dawson's Creek, and Felicity to ease back in the direction of family dramas. While this did not pan well for Everwood and fared even worse for the short-lived Jack and Bobby, Gilmore Girls was an unexpected success. Gilmore Girls allowed the network to straddle the line of teen drama and family drama seamlessly for years and create a legacy so powerful that Netflix would continue the story of the Gilmores as a miniseries nine years after the original show had ended. Gilmore Girls was also one of the few shows to make the transition when the WB changed gears and became The CW, which happened in season seven, the final season of the series. So what do we think made Gilmore Girls so unique? Stay tuned. Um, why don't we jump into it, Alex? Right. So I feel like it's a fair warning to the listeners. Like, if you're looking for, you know, a Gilmore Guys type praise, type love, type adoration, this is not that bitch. <laughs> like, it's really not, y'all. <laughs> not that bitch. I'm sorry. So the show is like very famous, like in terms of like people like very famously like hate the later seasons. I personally love the later seasons. I've never really watched that, but like the sweet spot of this show, like I think for like um, from a fan standpoint and an audience viewpoint, and I think a critical viewpoint as well was always the first, the, the seasons we're going to talk about these seasons one through four is like what the people love. So this is like my first time, like true blue watching the one through four. I can see that. I can see why the people why the people love it. I can see why people love the first four seasons as well. But I'm with Alex. I actually really love the back half of this show. I have a theory that the reason people weren't fucking with the back half is because it became far less of a whimsical white fairy tale. But right. 
the show is very much like a white woman's like fantasy like from beginning to end it's all like the shit that white women dream of like this is it like it's Gilmore Girls right and it's not the white woman in question isn't exactly the mother Lorelai but more her daughter Rory yes you know I would say it's both at points but like I couldn't see why you would say it's more Rory than than Lorelai but I think it's definitely both um, yeah, it I can see that. that. I can definitely see why you would say both. Um, and a lot of, and a lot of, and we'll, we'll point these out as they come, but in a lot of events throughout the course of the show, Lorelai is also living in this white fantasy. <laughs> right. Like the whole, like just the way, and when I say like white female fantasy, you guys, I'm really just talking about, I'm talking about everything. So like from like this sort of small idyllic town, um, this all this pretty much all white small idyllic town where Lorelai and Rory both like never have to think of anything and 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 Lorelai is this uh, fantasy like figure in terms of like she's super she's hyper feminine and she's super beautiful and you know she has mommy's and daddy's money but she's she's sloughed it off because she doesn't need it um and she, you know, has just just enough grit, not too gritty, not she's not, you know, hard in the paint grit. Like she's not she doesn't have that Mariah Carey grit, but like just 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 a little bit, just just a teeny tiny bit of toughness. Like I, I get why it, it all just speaks to and then like she never really has to think about things like about the world that are like hard um ever mm-hmm. um in a i think a larger sense and all of these things just compound and then Rory's entire i think sort of life in terms of like um uh and i think it it'll be even more personified i think in Rory's relationship to Paris just this sort of idyllic of like i don't i just go through life sort of just like you know, everything is mm, like, and uh, everything is just sort of like la tra la la, and like tra la la. Like there are obstacles, but the obstacles aren't that hard. Life mm-hmm. shit like isn't that hard, and you know my and and that's how I live. And like in that, like it is like the ultimate white woman fantasy. And looking back and watching the show, particularly in the early seasons, I really don't get why Amy Sherman Palladino gets like feels the type of way when the conversation around the show mostly revolves around like Lorelai and Rory's boyfriends because that's what the show is <laughs> like uh, like besides the men in their lives like they don't have they don't like their problems like aren't that hard um I would have put an asterisk on Lorelai I feel like she has a life outside of her relationships particularly in these first seasons when she's trying to start her own business and do her own thing and she goes into partnership with Suki. We'll discuss all that later. But with Rory, absolutely, her sole problems come from the the boyfriends and the relationships that she has. Sole problems. Um, So to build on what Alex just said, they are definitely living in a white woman fantasy. Both Lorelai and Rory are coded heavily by the show as the most beautiful and interesting women of their age living in Stars Hollow. 
the show does this very, very intentionally. Lorelai is tinged with this air of mystery because she's not um, a star's hollow native. However, she gets along well with every single person in town. Um, she's on a first name basis with everyone from the the owner of the diner, Luke, that she frequents, who um, is initially coded as a love interest, like from Jump. Um, you know, the people at the local Indian and Chinese food restaurants, right? Like Alex said, she's gritty enough. She made it on her own without her parents' help. But she's also super hyper-feminine. But she's also, quote-unquote, eccentric and whimsical because she talks really fast and she doesn't cook. It almost feels like Stars Hollow is a fairy tale. And they very much code Lorelai and even to a greater degree her daughter Rory as the princesses in this town. In Rory's case, this is actually blatantly um, ex almost explicitly stated when every adult in town, even the the ones without children, but especially the child the childless ones, dote on Rory. What the fuck is even happening? They don't like. She's just a child. She's not even your child. You know. You feel me? Like it really makes it feel like a fantasy. But I feel like that's part of why people loved this show so much. Right. And I think that's part exactly uh, it's an ongoing thing throughout the run of the series of um Rory and Lorelai will always be eating junk food, but like they never have to work out and they never gain weight and they never mm. They talk about eating their next meal as they're eating. They grab snacks for the very short walk to the bus stop after just having completed eating. And then they go home and they order enough takeout for 17 people. But they're, they're not just average weight. They are slender. Right. And they actively talk about hating working out. And, like, people, other characters will comment on it. Um, and it's, it's, it's just weird. <laughs> It uh, is very weird because it again more of that fantasy, right? It is yeah. the quintessential white Western like, woman's fantasy to be able to eat at all times whatever she wants without gaining a pound. Yes, also the show is extremely popular for all of, I guess, the pop culture references uh, that are made in it, and but they're very specific type of pop culture references. They're sort of like I think it's pop culture like old of like old movies that and things that like white people like really value. Right. Right. And I'm glad that you said old <laughs> because, um, I understood a lot of these white references made on other shows, but you could tell this show was written by someone who was at least Gen X. Um, if not older, probably straddling that line of Gen X and boomer because of the type of references. I was the same age that Rory was when the show premiered. I was 16 and they really expected the sixteen-year-olds to know who Paul Anka was. Yeah, I don't. I still don't know. I, I like. I got from the episode. Like, I got that he was like a singer, but like, I did not like that. Didn't. Yeah, the, and they do that all the time. That didn't hit for me. Like, right. and when they were like Donna Reed, I was like, what's a Donna Reed? I was like, right. Like, what's a? I'm, I'm glad they explained at least in that episode who and what she was in the iconography of white history, right? But mm -hmm. with like. Paul Anka and a bunch of these other ones. We just had to figure that shit out for ourselves. So, and like when I was when I was compiling the Gilmore Girls playlist, like it's literally a bunch of like really really old um, music that was popular at the time. With and all the modern music was like super obscure. 
I want to say like that choice is very much why I think critical reception to it is always was always so high, particularly mm-hmm. from like a female led drama because it's like oh they're not leaning into this white female fantasy. Um, it's like oh they're like the cool girls, like the smart girls, like or like mm-hmm. oh it's like the smart girl show. Um, for that right. reason. And I think this that was actually really smart on their behalf to have all of these references and have this like really ridiculously old um, geriatric ass music because um, we've had the conversation about how things that are geared to women, especially young women, usually get kind of shot upon by critics. So I think by throwing in these little curveballs of nostalgia, right? It helped male critics, I believe, be less hard on the show. And you have these fixtures of Lorelai's parents who are um, very, very involved supporting characters. Yes. Um, So and, you know, they're part of the principal cast. And I think this does a lot to um, give the show that level of maturity that a lot of critics think is synonymous with quality or sophistication. Exactly. Um, and listen, it all, like, I guess in, like, it, it works, right? It works. Let's break down some, like, main stuff of, like, season one. What do you want to start with? All right. Um, quick run through. We're introduced to Lorelai Gilmore and her daughter, um, Lorelai Gilmore III, better known as Rory Gilmore. They live in this idyllic little fantasy fairy tale town of Stars Hollow where everyone just loves them. Um, very quickly, we're introduced to a prospective love interest for Lorelai, the diner owner named Luke, and um, Rory's first major crush, Dean. Um Rory is currently um, attending Stars Hollow High, but her mother, who encouraged her to apply to Chilton, an elite um, private school that Lorelai herself attended before becoming pregnant with Rory. And Rory is accepted into the school, but she cannot pay. So she um, is forced to ask the parents that she's been estranged from since um, she was about 17, so about 15 years, for the money to pay for the tuition. And they accept on the condition that her mother gives that they attend dinner at the Gilmore family home in Hartford every Friday night. Um we meet the we meet a lot of the residents of the town, which will become fixers in the show. These great recurring supporting characters like um, Michelle, Kirk, Babette, Miss um, Kim, Miss Patty, and we meet other supporting characters like Paris, um, Suki, Lane, and of course the strongest supporting um, characters, Lorelai's parents, Richard and Emily Gilmore. We also meet Rory's father, Christopher, who also becomes a recurring character. And once Lorelai and Rory become involved in her parents' lives again, um, we see kind of the breadcrumbs of what made her relationship with her parents so toxic and um, how despite the fact that they've never shed this toxicity, they're actively trying to do better with their granddaughter, who Richard and Emily very much see as a second chance to get things right. Rory has her first boyfriend, Dean. She starts attending Chilton. And um, Christopher, who is shown as um, only coming to Stars Hollow for the very first time in season one, 
is assessed by Lorelai as being too immature to be a father and a husband. She sends him packing and then later starts dating Rory's teacher at Chilton, Max Medina, who proposes to her at the end of season one. So that's the recap, you guys. All right. So let's talk a little bit about Rory and Dean for a minute. Rory and Dean. Okay, this is absolutely why we say that, especially where Rory is concerned, the show is very much about these relationships. Um, Like, we can can pretend um, that Lorelai has a life outside of relationships. We can't do that with Rory. We We can't. Because Rory Rory gets to Chilton, and, like, it's all, like, it's just so easy. (laughs) Like, I mean, there are no, she doesn't have real obstacles at that school. It's just, like, you know, things just happen to her and then she deals with them. So that's why I'm like, let's just kick it off with Rory and Dean. Right. Because when she goes to Chilton, you would expect there to be like an adjustment curve since this is such an elite private school. Right. But she fits in really easily. Um, All the girls are curious about her. All the boys love her. She has one bully, a girl who everyone doesn't really like in the first place, who later becomes her friend. These are not real problems. Problems. But- they're not real problems. Um, and her grandparents completely dote on her like everyone else she's ever met. So Rory and Dean. Dean sees Rory, this you know cute little blue-eyed brunette. He falls for her instantly. Dean also happens to be a blue-eyed brunette who looks, and Lorelai points this out, like a young version of her father, Christopher. They start dating, and I don't know if you remember this, Alex, but like the whole Dean thing comes as she's getting ready to go to Chilton and she actually brings up the prospect of not going to Chilton so that she can stay in stars hollow high with Dean. Who's like the new kid in the school. He just moved from the Midwest. And then Laura lies like, hell no, you're not staying at this school for some boy. You better get your ass in Chilton. Right. <laughs> Which is like silly. Like of all the things, like, cause I am a proponent of Rory staying in public school, but like, because I think private schools are a scam in general, like, in the American school system. But the fact that Rory is not choosing to forego private school because they are a scourge on the American public school system, but in fact just wants to stay for a boy is like the absolute worst. Right, right. And, you know, it's interesting what you say about private schools being a scam. I actually agree with that. But you know how much stock Americans, white Americans in particular, put in, like, names and pedigrees, yes? And if nothing else, Lorelai and Rory are never coded as kind of, like, the sort of buck-the-system type white people. No, they're they're definitely (laughs) not. Like, absolutely not. And then Dean, like, isn't even all that great. Like, it's a boyfriend in general like the the episode where he's like what's so bad about being donna reed everyone's just like what i remember being 16 and watching that and thinking to myself this boy is 16 years old and already wants a housewife a stay-at-home housewife right that's wild which is wild what's so bad about donna reed and I was actually, that episode kind of, like, shocked me for the reason that we, like, just stated in that, like, the show doesn't, like, think about big things. The show, like, Amy uh, Sherman Palladino, like, herself very famously said, like, she's like, I don't do message shows. Like, I don't do, like, I don't do that shit. Like, I don't care. To see, like, this sort of, like, feminist, like, bullhorn, like, randomly in the episode was, like, shocking for me. Mm -hmm. Um, right right now on that episode 
um, jog my memory. Did they even use the F word? Did they even use the word feminism? No. I don't think they did. They yeah, yeah. They don't use feminism, but they don't use the F word. But they, but it's, she's very much like, why? But, you know, it is that. Like, Rory's like, why would you, why would you feel like you're entitled to, and I think she does use in the world in, word entitled. She's like, why yes. would you feel entitled to have a woman cook for you and clean for you and do all these things for you uh, and take care of you in in addition to, like, working. He's like, listen, my mom did it, and she was happy to do it, and I think you guys are just, like, overreacting, you mm-hmm. silly ladies. He's definitely coded as, like, the quote-unquote nice misogynist. Right. He That's very much Dean's character. And the episode resolves in a very typical way in that Rory then like puts on like a whole Donna Reed show for him, like a whole Donna Reed, like little cosplay and she cooks and all of that silliness. And she says, Oh, I decided to do it because I researched and it turns out Donna Reed was, you know, executive producer and creator of the Donna Reed show and made all the recipes herself and did all the work herself. And and was actually like a very shrewd businesswoman. I was saying Rory misses the point. Like in that, like, yes, she did all those things, but like one, how hard did she have to probably fight to do that? And like, look at all that work she's doing by herself. Like, I'm sure a lot of that like wasn't by choice. Like, and although maybe she herself was individually successful, like she ended up perpetuating a harmful ideal. Sort of freaked out by Rory, like being like 19, like, being like super hyper feminine in like this 1950s Donna Reed cosplay. And then they, they sort of like kumbaya it out. Mm-hmm. So that episode was interesting for me um, because um, again, the word feminism is never used, but Dean is also coded um you know, from the very beginning as coming from a family that's struggling financially, which is why he was working at Dozie's Market, because his mother doesn't have a job, because his father's averse to the idea of his mother having a job, right? And then um, you go into, like, the Donna Reed character herself. So the Donna Reed show, like Alex said, absolutely perpetuated negative stereotypes, right? And I absolutely believe that it was actually quite difficult for Donna Reed to become, like, executive producer and have so much control of her show because this was the 1950s, right? I think she was one of maybe two women that had executive control on any show that they were on. So that's a big deal. But Rory, what Rory did that was so fucked up in that last scene where she, like, puts on the Donna Reed character dress is that she's conflating Donna Reed, the businesswoman and executive, with Donna Reed, the character she played on TV. That character was in no way, shape, or form empowered. Right. So, like, if if, you, if you're going to look up all this information on Donna Reed, like, cosplay as Donna Reed the boss bitch, not Donna Reed the submissive housewife she played on television, feel me? Like, even in the end, when, like you say, like, Dean is really turned off by the whole thing, or not turned off, but put off by it, um, I think that that episode could have actually been better if she had dressed up as Donna Reed with the express purpose of making him freak out. Like, are are you sure this is what you really want? And basically put on a little Stepford Wives act and like rattle him a bit. I think that would have actually been much funnier than her essentially doing this cosplay by way of apologizing to him um, for not coddling his misogynist ideologies. Mm -hmm. And like low key though, like that Donna Reed outfit was one of Rory's best looks. 
That's it really say. was though. <laughs> like <laughs> that little yellow dress was was popping. So good. Her hairs have never looked so good. Like um never, never. Uh and so yeah, and then Dean in general is just kind of sucks. I think it's right. just yeah. So halfway through the first season, which is 21 episodes, it's I believe her birthday. Yeah, it's her birthday. And Dean brings her to like a junkyard and brings her to his old car. And he's like, I'm I'm gonna restore this for you as a birthday present. It's not ready yet, but I'm I'm in the process of restoring it for you, which is mad sweet and real cute. And then they're sitting in the old little dilapidated dilapidated car, and he's like, um, you know, they kiss and he tells her, I love you. And she doesn't say it back because she's overwhelmed. And this dude breaks up with her for not saying I love you back. So that's red flag. I don't even know which number we're on at this point with him. Christopher's a deadbeat, but I think the the actor who plays him is great. Um, the actor who plays him is... David Sutcliffe. D- D- yes, David Sutcliffe. And... I agree. He's a great actor. David Sutcliffe, like, really does... He does it with this character because he's very charming. And although Christopher's a deadbeat, I never quite hate him at least me personally i never quite hate him i mean, i recognize that like he's a really exhausting person but i i get why like letting her guard down and like letting him in and like sort of like this sort of but but not so much for how long she lets it happen because like they let this go on for i think the entire run of the series this like christopher lorelei like will they won't that's that's exhausting because they hook up like frequently throughout like the run of the series they're always sort of like falling back to each other and i'm like either date him or don't babe like either deal with his issues and like know that that's the the game Mm -hmm. and know that you're always gonna like feel a type of way or just be done but like this Mm -hmm. is the cycle is like ugh, girl Mm -hmm. aren't you tired it was It wasn't entirely her fault, um, and we'll get to that when we get into season two. But the show makes it very clear that Lorelai is very much in love with Christopher, but she doesn't think he's ready to be a husband. More importantly, she doesn't think he's ready to be a father, as he has demonstrated. But I completely agree with Alex that um, the Christopher character, I completely feel, is supposed to be con- like coded as like the lovable deadbeat. He's supposed to be like a deadbeat, but also like really charming and magnetic. And David Sutcliffe plays him perfectly. Um, I think particularly like in a particularly like in a rewatch, like being older, having like a different mindset going into these shows that we're all rewatching that's such a hard thing to do but i it does it the show stands up so like i think that's a i think that's a testament to the writing and in amy sherman palladino and i guess her having like a really clear vision for these mm-hmm. characters i want to talk about tristan played by infamous chad michael murray he's been on every show on the wb you guys he was uh, a prospective love interest for for Rory. He went to um, her new private school, Chilton. At first, she despises him, but over time, she learns to tolerate him. Now, this is someone that Dean is jealous of from Jump, even though Rory has no interest in him. And while her and Dean were broken up, D, you know, Tristan was trying to actively pursue her. And instead of, like, having her little home moment, and getting with a private school boy, she wallows and sulks, and she and Dean get back together. 
on the season finale episode when he like shows up at her school and like sweeps her off her feet or whatever. And I think it's the season finale episode or the, the, the episode prior to that. Either way, um, she gets back into this relationship with Dean, who we know from Jump is the wrong person for her, right? It's exhausting to watch because we know he's wrong for her. Lorelai basically runs away from her, her wedding to Max. Right. So that happens. I actually think Max Medina was the best person for her. Um, like, Max really was her best match. I think he was the person that was like you know, understood and loved her whimsy while still giving her that sense of being grounded that she desperately needed. She accepts the proposal, but realizes that that's not what she wants and breaks away. So season one ends with him proposing. Season two ends with him, with her um, accepting the proposal. And several episodes later, when all the plans and everything has been made, she calls it off. So though in, in that way, seasons one and two are intertwined because I think this is one of the the few seasons where Lorelai has like a relationship that spans the end of one season and the beginning of another. Right. Yeah. Okay. So what do you think of season one? Good, bad, or basic? It's good. I think it's, I think they, the show does a really good job at like establishing like this world and these characters and like what it's about and what it's going to do. And yeah. I think it does all the things that, like, a first season is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. You guys know how I feel about pilot episodes. I also feel like the pilot episode of the show was really good. Um, like, again, from what I consider to be a good pilot, it sets up the characters, and it sets up what you can expect of them. It introduces the supporting characters. Gilmore Girls pilot did all of that. I also think the first season was good, even though it required me, as a Black girl, to suspend a lot of belief. Right. Like, yes, that's got girls without question. If you want to sort of get the hits, get the number ones on season one, um, I would say watch the pilot. I would also say episode two, Lorelai's first day at Chilton. Episode seven, Kiss and Tell. Episode eight, Love Worn Snow. Episode nine, Rory's Dance. Episode 11, Paris is Burning. Episode 12, Double Date. Episode 14, That Damn Donna Reed. Episode 15, Christopher Returns. Episode 17, The Breakup Part 2. Episode 20, P.S. I Love, I Love, and then dot, dot, dot. And then episode 21, Love, Daisies, and Troubadours. Speaking of Troubadours, so the show has like a Troubadour, like a guy who just sings on the street corners. And that Troubadour is actually um, recording artist Grant Lee Phillips. He's a town Troubadour. And there's like a couple episodes when like, there's like another Troubadour, like, like trying to like cop his position or whatever. And that Troubadour is played by another recording artist. I'll get to who when we get to that season. And um, the show's theme song, which is performed by Carol King, is Where You Lead. Carol King actually has a recurring role on the show in the first half as the owner of the town record store, Sophie. That's why that theme song is so great. That makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. So she plays Sophie Bloom of Sophie's Record Store, where like Lane basically lives for the first two seasons, um, which I thought was really cute that they would bring in, you know, these people to do that. Right. Like you have actual musicians playing actual musicians and people who are knowledgeable about music. I thought that was super cute. But yeah, I agree with all the episodes that Alex said. 
I also think that the season finale episode was quite good, even though I wasn't trying to see Rory and Dean get back together. It was womp womp, but whatever. So let's get into season two proper. Where are we at with season two, Em? Season two opens with Lorelai accepting Max's proposal. Um, Luke's nephew, um, well, excuse me, she breaks it off. Um, she breaks off their engagement the day before the wedding. Um, and this is done fairly early on. I want to say three or four episodes in. Um, Luke's nephew Jess comes to town and there's instant chemistry between he and Rory, which kind of throws rocks at her relationship with Dean. Lorelai deeply disapproves of Jess because she understands the allure of a bad boy, um, especially when you're stuck in a relationship with a Dean. Um, anyway, Richard retires and starts his own. Then he later starts his own insurance business. Um, Lorelai and Suki are trying to buy the Dragonfly Inn and run their own business because they, in season one, they start work. They are working at the Independence Inn, but it's always been their dream to have their own inn, and that's what they're trying to do. But the owner of the Dragonfly refuses to sell to them. Lorelai and Christopher reunite. And she's really ready to make a go of it this time. She sees he's changed. He comes back. He's not wasting his money on, you know, fill in the blank, like failed business ventures. He, he, he's ready to settle down. He's steady. He's ready to make a go of it. And then he tells her, um, you know, toward the end of the season at Suki's wedding that his ex Sherry is pregnant and they break up. And this time it's not her fault. And he really was ready to settle down. And that's what kind of stings with the situation. She wants it. He wants it. He's ready. She's been ready. And some other woman is pregnant. Um, and Lorelai, being Lorelai, doesn't want him to do the same thing again. Leave his baby mama kind of on her own. So he runs back to Sherry to be, a, you know, a dad or whatever. And... Laura, Rory um, has a summer internship, but before she leaves for the summer internship, she kisses Jess while still very much in a relationship with Dean. So that's the recap on season two, you guys. The highlight of season two, obviously, being that Suki gets married. Now, I don't know how you feel about this, Alex, but I saw Suki's wedding as a big deal. I saw Suki as a character as a big deal. Because she's not just like Lorelai's fat best friend that is lonely and never has dates and never has a man. And while she like helps Lorelai wade through her drama, right? Suki has a man. She has an employed, reliable, devoted man who is crazy about her. She is quickly in a committed relationship that turns into a marriage. Suki basically has the kind of life that television shows generally reserve for thin women. Question, do they ever, like, kiss on screen? Her and Jackson? Yeah. Yeah, all the time in her kitchen. Mm. Like, like, but, like, like, <laughs> like mm -hmm. passionately, though? Not, like, um, boyfriend and girlfriend, like, quick kiss, but, like... Um, well, we never see her outside of the Independence Inn, really, except for one Thanksgiving episode, so I assume they do, but, like, she'll kiss Jackson and be like, get out of my kitchen, get out of my kitchen, I'm busy. We never really see Emily and Richard, for example, kissing passionately either. When Emily oh. and Richard split, and then they get back together. That's true, that's true. Like, I feel like the show reserves passion in a very concerted effort to Lorelai and Rory's relationship like even Lane well especially Lane a character they did very dirty never really has that passion 
because I think in general, Gilmore Girls is a very like PG show. Like, um, even when they sort of talk about sex, it's always like really through innuendo. It's through like they're never like explicit because, like I said, this is a this is a white woman like libertarian like fantasy. They're very like concerned about sex, like so that's fine. I'll give Gilmore Girls a pass, but I guess in that like in stuff like that, I always look to like cool, but like, does your fat person like kiss? Like, do they get to have? And that's and this is something we'll like talk about and like you'll observe like when we watch like drop dead diva like eventually like Mm -hmm. she is like fucking and you know it like um that that lead character yeah so let's take a moment to talk about some of my favorite people basically everybody who isn't Lorelai and Luke I don't like Luke I don't get it but um Sookie is like one of the greatest people played by pre-A-list Melissa McCarthy who is so great in the role and so fun. You're right. She does have her own life and she does have her own problems. That night before Sookie gets married, that episode um, where she's like freaking out, it's actually really nice to see that and have that moment because like, because for the most part, she is like Lorelai's confidant and sort of is always just helping Lorelai and giving Lorelai advice or like talking about Rory and and that stuff. So that's it's good to see. Yeah, so Suki was um my favorite character of all time on Gilmore Girls, not just for who she is, but how the show like I feel like they did her right. Let's talk about Lane for a minute. Lane is one of my absolute favorite people. Um now Lane is also one of my favorite characters, but the show did her dead wrong, you guys. Dead right. ass wrong. Dead <laughs> like, ass wrong. The only person that they treated worse than Lane, well, not worse, but, like, they they treated in a more, I feel, um, insensitive fashion was actually Lane's mother. But Lane's mother was more of a recurring character than a supporting character. Lane is um, Rory's best friend, who is a Korean seven-day Adventist and a closet music junkie and um, music nerd. Lane was really set up to be such an interesting character, right? And then they just, like, completely drop the ball, you guys. Right. They fumble the bag. And they do that, like, in a myriad of ways. So something that's slightly troubling about how they depict, I think, Lane and Mrs. Kim is... um, And I think this is something that a lot of white, like, shows are guilty of uh, for, like, all, like, sort of immigrant stories but um it's very I think it's visible I think it's very visible with the Kim family is that they sort of like so Lane's mom is like very rigid but she's very rigid due to her sort of religious beliefs and being a seventh-day Adventist but they will but they code that but the show codes it is sort of it's like oh it's just like her crazy Korean like mom and, like, her mm-hmm. sort of crazy Korean culture. They're, like, sort of little backwards, those, like, those backwards, like, Koreans. Mm-hmm. And they definitely put them as, like, a foil. And and I mean a foil in terms of, like, look at how, like, mad and, and miserable and sad Lane is. And, like, why can't Mrs. Kim just be, like, cool um, Lorelai and Rory Gilmore? And that's, that's, uh, that's just always troubling to me. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is a conversation Alex and I had via text. I was like, absolutely. Like, 
the issue with Mrs. Kim and her or the structure with which she raises her daughter has virtually nothing to do with her being Korean and everything to do with her being seven day Adventist. Because while she's coded as quote, like a, a kind of tiger mom, she's not doing any of those stereotypical things like, you know, um, demanding that Lane has perfect grades or forcing her to learn a musical instrument or things of that nature or, you know, you know, even maybe even making her get a job or whatever. When when Lane does get a job at Sophie's record store, it's by choice because she 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 needs um, money to buy more music. Mrs. Kim is an interesting character, too, because Mrs. Kim is married. She's not a widow either. Um, and it's weird that we never see Lane's dad. We never see Mr. Kim. And I feel like, you know, what you said earlier about season one, Lorelai being hyper feminine. I feel like the fact that we never see a Mr. Kim is a move to masculinize Mrs. Kim by implying that um, even though um, Lane has a father, his like his presence is not necessary because Mrs. Kim is like a father in how strict she is. is gross. On it's a gross. lot of levels. <laughs> it's so, so gross. gross. <laughs> like, I didn't even realize that this girl had a father until I think I'd watch a show when it first came to Netflix. And I was, like, binge-watching the whole thing. And I was like, wait, she got a daddy? <laughs> right, same. Like, because like I said, I've never... Even at her wedding, do we don't... I don't think we meet Mr. Kim. I saw a lot of Asians. I couldn't tell you which one is her father because, again, he'd never been introduced, right? So even if he was there, how would we know which one was him? Like, I'm just like, I'm, 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 listen, white people are different. Um, When she has problems, she never talks about her dad. When she has an issue that she needs to resolve, she never goes to her dad. We never see Lang even so much as calling her dad on the phone or going upstairs to talk to dad, right? right? And so it's, it's very much a situation where, like, like y'all could have just made Miss Kim a widow for all this shit that you're doing. Which is, um, and it's even more glaring because, like, Rory is, like, the queen of daddy issues, right? She's always talking about Christopher. Um, she's talked to, Chris- to Lane about Christopher, and it's just, like, and but we never hear Lane sort of respond or talk about her father or like what that is. And, and mm-hmm. it's weird. It's, it's yikes. And the interesting thing is like, Mr. Kim is not in the rare occasion he's mentioned in passing is not coded as someone who's a deadbeat. Right. It's very much implied that he's present and that he lives in the home with them. Right. But we never see him. <laughs> yeah. Just make her a widow. Cause this shit that you're doing didn't make any, any sense at all. It would kind of make more sense if she was a widow, too, and, like, being as religious as she was as to why she's not dating either. And then Mrs. Kim, like, is not, like, hyper-feminine in her sort of presentation is, uh, it's it's coming back to, like, that Asian sort of male emasculation trope that white people love, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. By, like, completely erasing. And and not just that, but, like, complete erasure, which is troubling, the message being sent here is that Mrs. Kim is both mother and father to Lane. We never get that with Rory. Yes, Christopher didn't come around till she was damn near 16, right, to come to Stars Hollow. But it's very clear Lorelai was never trying to, like, 
be a paternal figure or um, to overcompensate as a disciplinarian because of Christopher's absence. Whereas it's very much implied that Mrs. Kim is doing that, that she is the first, last, and only authority in her home, which does masculinize, uh, does, excuse me, does emasculate. And I, and also it's just kind of, it's gross that like uh, this man doesn't want any, like he doesn't want to be an active parent or like he doesn't want to, or like, and then it sends like these, I think, ideals just about, um, I think that not isn't specific necessarily to Asian men, but I think all immigrant men sort of get painted with this brush of like, um, like they don't want to be active parents. Like they're kind of deadbeats. Like mm-hmm. they, like even if they're present, they're not like, they're uh, not, they're not actually taking on parenting duties. You mean? Right. Yeah. Which I think is is a very like I, I think that's a, a brush that like I know Caribbean men are painted with. Um, that's mm-hmm. a brush that other of other immigrant groups like their male groups are also painted with. So it's it's just weird. It's 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 not good. It's gross. That's the point. We don't see him at Lane's baby shower um, when Zach comes, and this is the big one, you guys. Later on, when when Lane's boyfriend, Zach, comes to ask for her hand in marriage, he asks her mother, her father still being coded as very alive. Right. Um. <laughs> like, at least ask, like, if you're going to ask, right, you're going to ask for both the permission of both parents still living. Yes. So if her father's still alive, why are you only asking her mother's permission? Because, again, her mother is the authority, the only authority that matters, apparently. So apparently he's in the revival um, I don't remember seeing that dude. And I definitely watched the revival. Like when it dropped, it dropped December, 2016. And I watched it like two days afterward. I, now I could have just missed him, but I think it's more likely that he was on screen so briefly <laughs> that he's forgettable. Right. Like everything that we say still stands, but like he is, um, but I just looked it up super quick and he is in the revival with the screenshot, but like, but everything we say, say still stands. <laughs> But Lane Kim is great. She's, like, one of the smartest people. She's super fun. Yeah, I was going to mention this point. You know what's interesting about the Lane Kim character and the way that the show, the, sh- the the one way that the show actually chooses to subvert Asian stereotypes? They go out of their way to make sure that we, the audience, know that Rory is smarter than Lane. Right. Which... Like, like that's the one Asian trope you cared about, like, dismantling. Which is weird. At. Of all the ones, of all the ones, which is why, like, I think it's in bad faith, right? Because of all the ones, you that was the one you went with, like, right, sure. right, because we need we need to prop up our white protagonist, but protagonist, go off, but but go off, <laughs> sis. Congratulations, I guess you did something. I want to talk a bit about Paris Geller and my fa- my absolute favorite, and then I want to talk about the implosion of this uh, Lorelai Max relationship. So, but first off, per- Paris Geller, my absolute favorite. Paris is my favorite character as well, you guys. I stand Paris so fucking hard. I feel like Paris deserves the world. The world, the world, the world. I was happy that the revival did her character justice. I was tired of seeing her, in a similar manner, I guess, to the Lane character, um, play second fiddle to Rory. Mm -hmm. And 
um, I wasn't with the shits. And I knew that Paris was going to have a better life than Rory because Paris hadn't gone through her entire life with everyone telling her that she's pretty and worthy and all she has to do is exist and things will fall into place. Paris been grinding from day one, you guys, and she never stopped. So, yeah, I want to talk a bit about that. So Paris is, like, definitely put up as, like, this foil to Rory. And if we look at this show, like, in, like, this sort of white female fantasy context... Um, and this is why I'm like, the show is like, the show sort of starts to, the show always bumps, I think, against uh, thinking about real things. And then it just quickly, like, pulls back. And I think one of the ways it does this is through, like, the 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 character of Paris. The show codes Paris's problem as somebody who just cares too much. Right? Paris yes. cares too much. She tries too hard. She works too hard. She's too ambitious. She's she's too ambitious. She takes things too seriously. She's too intense. And the show, and while the show finds, I think, a whimsy in that, for the most part, it's coded as like negative. Like that, like that's just the problem with Paris. We like Paris, <laughs> but like she's just too all of those things. And what's interesting is that of all the characters on the show, Paris is the only one at this elite private school who we see actively caring about grades and studying. Even the Rory characters is is very much coded as someone who's intelligent without having to try, right? Right. But like, right. Paris is the only person who I think has like a a view or a thought of the world and knows that the world is bigger than her. And knows that while she could lean on her wealth and her whiteness, and that would be enough, she doesn't because she wants to know that she's better because she is better. And therefore works to achieve that. And I think that's interesting because Paris is a very wealthy white girl, right? She comes from an old money family. Um, And she could just kind of coast like a Madeline and a Louise, yes? But... Um, I think she understands that very quickly there will come a point in her life when she's not just one of the wealthiest children in a school. She's just one of many wealthy people in a school. And there's got to be there's got to be something more. There's got to be something that sets you apart. And she takes a lot of pride, actually, in like knowing things and not just knowing the right people. Paris will serve as throughout the run of the series, in my opinion, a a, a lightning bolt or not a lightning bolt, but um, a lightning rod for uh, real, the real world um, outside of this sort of, you know, fantastical, like idyllic place that Gilmore Girls makes the world. So Paris will always serve as that sort of reality check. Um, and she's in, in the very few reality checks that come into yeah. Rory's life. Now, what's interesting to me, like, and this is on theme with our feelings about Paris, in a lot of ways, um, not always, obviously, but in many ways, Paris actually reminds me of who Lorelai would have been or should have been if she were actually a smart person, right? Because um, Paris's parents are not coded as being, like, you know, psychologically um, manipulative and gaslighty in the way that Emily and Richard were to Lorelai, but they are very, very distant. She was raised almost single-handedly by her Portuguese nanny, which resulted in her speaking fluent Portuguese. 
she she wanted to you know um get away from her family home and make her own life and have her own family one day as soon as possible but she wasn't stupid enough to leave home she was like listen as long as they're paying for my education i'm just gonna ride this right i'm just gonna get my education and then forge my own path and make my own life Lorelai like made things unnecessarily hard for herself by not exploiting her parents' wealth to give herself a cushion, right? Because when she left her parents' home, she left 16 years old, no high school education, because if you drop out, you might as well, and, and you know, as a junior, you might as well have dropped out in like the eighth grade with a baby. She didn't even bother taking her father's Amex. Like, what are you doing, sis? You know, to the point where, like, she didn't even graduate with her bachelor's degree until she was in her 30s. You made things harder for yourself than they had to be. Because if nothing else, Emily and Richard would have bankrolled her her education. Right. This implosion, this sort of implosion between her her and Max, um, Lorelai and Max, was wild to watch. What did you think of it? really quickly i felt like from the moment she accepted the proposal in that opening episode of season two that it was going to end i didn't know it was going to end as soon as it would have but i knew it was going to end because i could feel the hesitancy from the character i do think max was the right person for her but i don't think she was the right person for him and if we ever saw the max character again i think he would say that lorelei did him a favor (laughs) by eventually breaking off their wedding yeah so like the thing that got me was like when Mac when Max is like, what do I do when like Rory and Dean are like, you know, he's like, what's my sort of role? Which is actually like a really he's like, well, if Rory and Dean are like making out in the in the car, like what do I what do I do? Like what's my what's my trying to establish basically like boundaries and like what's my role as like a disciplinarian since I'm going to be involved in her life. And Laura's like, Lorelai's like, Oh girl, you don't have one. <laughs> like that, that was shit, so weird to me. That shit was wild to me. Cause I'm in complete agreement with Alex. This is a good question. It's a necessary question. If you're dating someone with kids and you want to take it to that next level of like cohabitation and marriage, you need to have the conversation about what your role is going to be as a step parent. And if you're not ready to be a step parent, don't date people with kids. Period. <laughs> period. Right. Comes out if she comes back, um, way past curfew, like, and you're not here what do I do? And Lorelai's like, oh girl, like, oh, I'll just handle it. Like, don't, don't worry about it. And he's like, um, that's not how life works. (laughs) And and what got me was how like shocked she was by that. (laughs) Like, I was like, oh, well, sis, like, you don't want this man. Like if you haven't, and he's like, and you're right. He was like, did you even think about it? Like, what like what what is the role that I'm gonna be playing in your life? Like I'm gonna be in your life. Like you have to think about these things. Um, but I also think it highlighted a larger problem with Lorelai and that like, wait, does Lorelai like not discipline this child? Um, which she doesn't. I feel really. like she, 
Right. So again, more of this white girl fantasy, especially where Rory is concerned. Well, Rory and Lorelai, right? Isn't it every white mother's fantasy to have a child that's like naturally brilliant and naturally thin and has naturally clear skin and naturally like has an almost identical personality to you? And isn't it every white girl's fantasy to have a mom who's all of those things and also like really lacks and never even raises her voice at you? Right. And then like, I guess like a white mother's fantasy to like have your, your, your child just like naturally doesn't really, cause Rory doesn't really, I understand why Lorelai doesn't really discipline Rory cause she doesn't really quite need it. She's just not, that that's not her personality. And like, yeah, even, but even that is very much like a white mother's fantasy of, of like a child. It's such a fantasy you guys. And the thing with Max Medina is like, like on one hand, I kind of understand why Lorelai reacted the way that she did because Rory never had a father figure, right? So I don't think she's used to like even the concept of a man disciplining her child. And then on by that same token, um, as you said, Rory doesn't really need disciplining. I also think she did not envision a future where Rory might need disciplining, if that makes right, sense. Right, right. Which so, is silly, but like, silly. <laughs> but like, yeah. You're right. Like, so I feel like that's why she reacted the way she reacted. But I'm like, I need you to get your head out of your asses and join us in the real world where kids fuck up eventually and where you cannot have an adult in the house um, in the role of 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 any type of guardian and not have them have a specific disciplinary role. And he asked his role because, again, like Alex said, boundaries. He's not her father. He's aware of this. He just wants to know what kind of role he'll have in her life. Let's talk a bit about Jess. The Jess. Yeah. So Jess comes in season two. Uh, Jess is Luke's nephew. Mm-hmm. And um, he comes to live with Luke because, uh, and Jess is from New York, uh, because his mother just can't take him anymore. Yeah, like his his mother is 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 said to have like her own set of issues and always had her whole life. And his dad is like out in California and it's never really been in his life. So Jess is played by a young Milo Ventimiglia. Um, I love 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 him in this role, and I really wanted Jess to be the one for Rory. Um, it's interesting though that this character Jess actually gets a better character arc than Lane, which I'm still salty about. So he starts off as like, he has these feelings for her and they actually have real things in common, right? Unlike her and Dean, they listen to the same music. They read the same books. Like they have the same sense of humor. Like he's not just a cute boy, her age who likes her. Right. Um, (laughs) Just even sort of makes this, makes this crack at Rory of, um, Jess is like, well, what do you and Dean even have in common? And what do you guys talk about? Rory says, Oh, you know, stuff. We talk about anything, everything. He get, um, he goes, he knows all the th- same things, you know? She says, well, not really. And he goes, oh, so it's like a student-teacher thing. Um, right. I love that. <laughs> because, and he, you know, he, he makes a, it's a constant thing where he kind of, like, gets on Dean about his lack of intellect, yes? Yeah. We're kind of rooting for Jess before they're in a relationship, right? Like, we know, like, she has this chemistry with Jess. She has this rapport with Jess. But when Jess gets Rory, like, all of his demons, the stuff that he was, like, fucking with when he was in New York, catch up with him. And he ends up being, like, a really shitty boyfriend. 
and doesn't actually become a good influence on Rory's life until they break up. When they break up, they develop a real friendship, right? Where she was is able to use Jess as like a confidant and almost like a counselor. And he gives her like good, solid advice. Jess as a boyfriend really just wasn't the wave, unfortunately, as much as we wanted him to be. Like when they when he crashes the car and then like he leaves her at the hospital by herself, I was like, oh, babe, <laughs> like what? that's when I knew like, well, that was one of many red flags. Right. But that's when we knew for like, for sure, for sure. This is not the wave season two, good, bad, or basic season two is good. I think this is, I think season two is another solid season. I think as much as I'm the, the characters are like kind of wild. I think I buy the way that things resolve. I buy, um, I like that. I get more of this, I like that we get more of, like, the supporting characters. Um, I like that we get sort of more gags with the people who live in Stars Hollow, specifically um, Patty, um, Babette, Kirk, um, Taylor. <laughs> Taylor's my Babette was favorite. So ir- Babette was so irritating to me, I swear. <laughs> it's the her, voice. Like, she's like, no, she's no, it's, she's the town gossip. That's why I don't oh. like her. Like like she that. knows, Babette knows everybody's business, you guys. She does. She meant everybody's <laughs> business. She's like <laughs> Stars Hollow's answer to Wendy Williams. Um, Why do they even need a town newspaper? <laughs> they don't. <laughs> like, we see that stuff for them. And I think it's it's a solid season. I like it. I think it's a solid season as well. And, you know, back on the Christopher Lorelai front, the reason they gave for them not making a go of it, you know, after all these years is a solid ass reason. He got he got another woman pregnant and he's not trying to repeat the mistakes that he made when he was a teenager. Right. Like as far as excuses go, this is a very good one. Right. It's a very good one. And if I had to pick some must see episodes of season two, I think season two, episode one, Sadie, Sadie is a good one. I think episode three, red light on the wedding night. Episode five, Nick and Nora slash Sid and Nancy. Episode six, presenting Lorelai Gilmore. Episode eight, the ins, the ins and outs of ins, I-N-N-S. And then episode 11, secrets and loans. Oh, sorry. 18, back in the saddle again. And then episode 19 teach me tonight and then 22 i can't get started mm-hmm. now that episode it should have been lorelei is actually my favorite episode of the season and i love care i really really love episodes that really expound on a supporting character's inner dialogue and inner world right now emily and richard are for the most part people that we know through lorelei and then later rory's eyes yes And in the It Should Have Been Lorelai episode, we really see Emily's deeply held longing, right, to see her daughter end up married to the father of her child. And it's not because she likes Christopher. She actually really doesn't like Christopher and doesn't think Christopher is worthy of her daughter, which is legit, right? It's because he is her granddaughter's father and he has a good family name and pedigree. And she really thinks that these trappings will give her daughter an easy life because as much as they don't understand each other and Lorelai feels misunderstood and put put upon by her mother, Emily wants the best for her daughter. And she really thinks the things she does are a means of getting that best. 
Right. Absolutely. Um, so that that episode really like opened my eyes to like more depth on the Emily character, which I really appreciated. I also thought season two was really, really good. I actually preferred it to season one. Season three, where are we at in season three? Um season two ended with Rory kissing Jess before going on a summer internship and then proceeding not to answer this boy's letters or emails at all on some, on some typical Gilmore shit. So season three, she comes back home. Jess is dating a new girl to get a rise out of her, which works and eventually leads to Dean breaking up with Rory again. And then Jess quickly breaking up with this other girl so that he can be with Rory. Rory and Paris are co-student body presidents. They both apply to Harvard. Fantasy alert, second fiddle alert. Paris, who literally lives and breathes her education, gets um, does not get into Harvard, but Rory does get into Harvard. The Independence Inn catches fire, and this is the end where Lorelai and Suki work. But then the owner of the Dragonfly Inn, the inn that they had wanted to buy last season, dies, and Lorelai and Suki are able to buy the property. Jess becomes a really shitty boyfriend, trying to pressure Rory to have sex with him. Luke starts dating a lawyer named Nicole. That that lasts very, very briefly. And then Jess eventually... Um, breaks up with Rory, and then goes to California to see his estranged father. Um, and from that point onward, he becomes a recurring character on the show and actually quite a good friend to Rory. And I think um, getting going to see his father actually healed a lot of wounds for him. Lane joins secretly joins a band called Hep Alien and then tries to um, get her, convince her mother to let her date the guitarist Dave Rogalski, played by pre-A-list or pre-B-list Adam Brody, um, who actually leaves this role of Dave Rogowski to play Seth Cohen on the OC. And the show's really cute about it. They actually said Dave moved to California. <laughs> Ends with Rory graduating as valedictorian of Chilton. Let's talk a little bit about... Oh, so I did not realize until I did this rewatch that like <laughs> they coded Zach as like initially being really into Lorelai. I thought that was funny. Yeah, I did catch that on the rewatch, and I'm like, huh, how did I miss this? <laughs> Season three to me is very, like, eh. like, it's not bad, but it's sort of, like, it feels like album filler, you know? It kind of does feel like album filler, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, especially when we're talking about an Amy Sherman Palladino, who, again, does not like shows that make you think. So right. it kind of it's on it's on brand for her to be very honest. Um, really quickly on on Lane's relationship with Dave, I thought this relationship was super cute. I like the fact that he was going above and beyond to just like just try to be in her life despite how how strict her mother was. And prior to this, she had actually had a secret Korean seven day Adventist boyfriend, right? Right. Which I thought, by having this really cute boy, really interested in her. They're really sweating each other. He's coded as being very attractive, and he was. The actor who played he him was, was really, really good looking, you guys. And I was like, thank you. Thank you for not falling into, you know, the teen Asian nerd stereotype. Right, because um, he's just normal. Yeah. Her, Lane's Korean, like, Korean boyfriend. <laughs> um, he's he's just like, he he's feels very normal. He feels very, mm-hmm. like... 
like just like your regular ass teenager. I mean, and- he is very smart, right? Because he does want to be a dentist and stuff. But it's not like it's not his entire per- like being intelligent is not his personality, right? <laughs> Uh, and it's hilarious to watch when Mrs. Kim like finds out. I will say that's that's chef's kiss because like she has like a small breakdown. <laughs> she does. She's, She's like, like I done fucked up. And that's that was really funny to watch. But um, I love Dave. I love Dave. I like Dave. Uh, for Lane, I think they're like I said. I think their relationship is cute. I like that he, like you said, he goes along with all the sort of crazy stuff that Lane does to sort of like trick her mom into like being cool with them. And he just, and he doesn't like pathologize it. He's just like, yeah, I guess your mom's just weird, which is nice. Cause you always sort of listen. He played guitar for five hours for her. That's love. That's really, really wanting to be with someone, I guess. Right. Right. That's, that's real. And I mean, they did, they didn't completely stay away from the Asian nerd trope, right? Because she is dating a distant relative, Young Choi, who's a cover-up boyfriend, right? When she's dating Dave. The, the, the boyfriend she was actually interested in was Henry Cho. But I feel like they handled Lane's love life really well until we got to the Zach years, which is terrible. Oh, that's so terrible. sad. I hate to think about it. But I did think it was interesting on the rewatch um, how he interacts with his nephew, Jess. I think they have a really good relationship. But when it comes to how he felt about Jess dating Rory, on the rewatch, I realized it wasn't completely altruistic and completely about, like, protecting Rory from his, like, ne'er-do-well nephew. There was very much an angle there of, like, if he dates this woman's daughter, then that might make it more difficult for me to be with her. Mm, I can see that. So um, that was interesting. But honestly, nothing about season three stands out. I'm still salty that um, Paris didn't get into Harvard. She deserved. I mean, um, I think Rory I, got I think in, and I think either Madeline or Louise got in as well. Right. Like, like one of them went to Harvard and one of them went to Yale and they never studied. Right. Like you said, I think that's like very, like once again, the white girl fantasy that like somehow the girl that works harder than you cares more than you puts in more energy than you somehow, like you're going to get something over her. Right. And like, I, I just did not appreciate the way that the show constantly had Lane and Paris playing second fiddle to bolster up the Rory character. How about, and this, you know, brand new theory here, you know, it's crazy idea, but why don't you just actually work on making Rory more interesting? That would make That's too all. much sense. <laughs> That's all. Anyway, season three, good, bad, or basic? Uh, basic. It's, it's like, yeah. Like you said, it's album filler to me. It's not, like, bad, but it's not, like, I'm not, like, damn, the hits keep, like, no skips. <laughs> um, do you have any favorite episodes from this season? I do, I do. I think um, Take the Deviled Eggs is worth a watch. I also think A Deep Fried Korean Thanksgiving is worth a watch. I like uh, They Shoot Gilmore's Don't They, Lorelei Out of Water, Face Off. The big one, Keg, Max. I think we're like Lorelai. 
I think isn't this the season like Lorelai like like she low key like because her and Max break up, but then she finds him again. I think that's the episode Keg Max where like Lorelai like on the off chance like runs into Max again and like fucks up mm-hmm. his shit. Um, Pretty much, yeah. Just because she can, because uh, why not? And and then um, here comes the sun twenty twenty one. That's it. Right, you know, and going back really briefly on the Lorelai and Max thing, um, I won't necessarily say Christopher because he's her child's father, and I think that's a different type of bond experience. But like, you know, her and Luke, her and Max, Rory, and all of her relationships, the show very much puts you in the frame of mind that the Gilmore women can have any men they want and they can get, you know, get any of their exes back with a snap of their fingers. Cause they just got it like that. And again, white woman fantasy. Um, really quickly. I also think that season three was basic. Um, okay. so we're in agreement there. Jump into season four, season four. Where are we at? What's up? What's happening? Okay. So see in season three, um, Richard very, very, like, connivingly schemes on a tailgating trip to Yale to have Rory talk with uh, someone on the admissions board. And after doing so and getting into Yale, she decides to be closer to her, her mother and her grandparents to go to Yale, even though her lifelong dream had been to get into Harvard, which she did get accepted into. So she and Paris began at Yale. Um, Yale was Paris's backup school, which she did happen to get into. Um, they start Yale as roommates. By this point, they're already friends. They had started to develop a friendship last season when they were co-student body presidents. And Rory helped Paris out with her own bully. Um, Lorelai, Suki, and Michelle spend the summer renovating the Dragonfly Inn, getting it ready for its open. So Lorelai and Suki are co-owners. And Michelle, another recurring character I love, because, like, he falls into the stereotype of the sassy gay man, but he's also like not trying to be your gay best friend accessory. Um, he's, he's like really snappish. He's very, he kind of, remi- he's kind of like, he has a lot of Jeffrey Niles energy. If you watch Fresh, Fresh Prince or the nanny, he's got a lot of that energy going on, which I love. Lorelai, begin seeing her father's business partner, Jason Stiles, which is a relationship that was, we knew that shit was going to end and end badly. Right. He's like a very, like, he's sort of like, I was trying to think about who he was like the most like, and I was like, he's like, he's kind of like a, like who I imagine Mitchum Hunt, Mitchum Hunt, Huntsberger was like when he was younger. Right. Except he's not even that much younger, is he? Right. Um, it's interesting, and I'll talk about this when we review Parenthood. But he actually reminded me of um, Alec, Alec, uh, Billy Baldwin's character that sh- that Lauren Graham was um, character was sleeping with on that show. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, they really threw her in the same situations. Get your check, get your check, Lauren. Um, <laughs> Suki and Jackson have their first child, Davy. Lane's mother finds out that. Uh, that she's in this band Hep Alien and throws her out of the house, which is like just extreme, like n- nonsensical coding of the character, but whatever. Right. 
Um, Jason and Lorelai break up after Jason tries to sue Richard and Lorelai takes her father's side. Emily feels neglected and she and Richard separate briefly with him moving into the pool house, but they eventually get back together. Luke and that fake ass relationship he was in with Nicole, um, climaxes with them eloping on a cruise and then quickly getting divorced. Dean gets married very early in the season and then later cheats on his wife, with Rory in the season finale. Um, then Luke accepts that he's in love with Lorelai, which we've been you, fam. We've been you. And they begin dating at the end of that season as well. So season four is just packed, but in a very good way. They don't, it's not that TVD era. We haven't reached that era yet of just like cramming as much as you can in a season. It's very much them trying and a lot of times failing to develop these characters. Right. So let's talk a little bit about this like Hep alien situation um, with Lane and then getting thrown out of the house, which doesn't make any sense. None. None. Because Mrs. Kim is very much about keeping your children close, keeping the word of God in their life, not put it, sending your children out here in these streets where they can be subject to all kinds of negative influences, right? And someone who cares about religion and virginity and chastity and piety the way that she does wouldn't kick her daughter out where she can just go to live with just anybody. That's not Miss Kim's personality. Right. And like, it doesn't track with any, like you said, it just doesn't track with anything we've learned about Miss Kim as a character who for all intents and purposes, while strict, very much loves and cares for her daughter. It would have made more sense to have Miss Kim like, take her to like i don't know like to a meeting with lane's pastor where like or a meeting with her pastor where like the pastor explains to lane like the evils of rock and roll like that would have made more sense absolutely absolutely um uh and that would seem like it was like in line with mrs kim that she would like try to like scare lane into like like try to scare her straight versus kicking her out of the house and kicking her out of the house just felt like like I said, it's it, it comes back to the show feeling like it's it's just that ugly coding is like Asian women is unreasonable or like crazy, which I didn't appreciate. Right. OK, first of all, even the fact that Lane is not in college kind of is womp- she's not even at Stars Hollow Community College. Right. Um, right. Like, which is she's just weird. Again, like, I know you guys are going above and beyond to paint her as an Asian girl of average intelligence because Rory has to be the smartest one in that friendship. But, like, are you guys really serious right now? Like, she couldn't be in the band and go to school at the same time. Mrs. Kim was okay with her being in the band. Like, and here's the thing. As much as they try to code Mrs. Kim as a tiger mom, she never pressures Lane to go to school either. Like, are you serious? This is not just—it doesn't track— with just like it's very normal coming of age of a teenage girl nor does it track with this tiger mom persona that you're trying to paint of mrs kim that she's not in school and no one cares that she's not in school right that doesn't make any sense or and then it doesn't make sense that you don't okay and even if you want to take the route of like okay lane isn't going to school it doesn't make sense that like lane doesn't try to pursuit because you know lane by this time lane is like a a true blue drummer right right it doesn't make sense that lane i don't know doesn't like isn't sneaking out of the house or isn't trying to find some avenue for herself of what she's gonna do next you know right 
I mean, she's in the band Hep Alien. She works at Sophie's record shop and that's her life. And I'm like, again, you set up this character so well, or at least as well as could be expected for three seasons and then completely drop the ball. Like she literally stops growing as a person in season four. I mean, later on they give her marriage and they give her some children, but it feels very piecemeal, very copy paste. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's tragic how this character flopped you guys, because like, I'm, I understand like college isn't for everybody. And maybe like that was the vision for the character that like, okay, maybe she doesn't go to college. Maybe she does something else, but like, you got to show me that something else. Um, you gotta, you gotta show me like Lane, maybe like sneaking out and going to Hartford and like trying to work at like a recording studio or Lane Mm -hmm. trying to like get the band, um, saving money for so like the band can like you know record a record or like trying to be like i can do something something to show this person who's always been very thoughtful and always seemed like she wanted more for her life doing that because because going back to the suki character suki very much has her own life and her own inner world before the marriage before the children um you know, she's a cook at the Independence Inn. She went to culinary school. She knows what she's doing. She becomes head chef when they open the Dragonfly Inn. She becomes, um, you know, Lorelai's business partner with the understanding that Lorelai will run the day-to-day and she will run the kitchen and plan the menus and things of that nature. Um, so this passion of hers, we see materialize in a very normal and natural way, Yes. And right. we don't we we never really see that with Lane. Um, even Hep Alien's success is because is something that happens almost accidentally, and it's a very small success, honestly. You know, she's working at Luke's, she's working at her mom's antique place, but that's about it. Mm-hmm. Um, which I guess like is fair, like is is fair in a sense of like if you're from a small town and like working at your family business and like working at Luke's, like maybe that is like enough. But mm-hmm. and if that is if that is like what you want to do and like that's enough or like or or like because I think that's also like a very valid existence. Um mm-hmm. Then show her, like, wanting to move out of her mom's house or getting a place of her own or, like, trying to find, still, you know, finding a sense of self and a sense of independence that does not hinge on this horrible thing of, like, her mom throwing her out. Her getting kicked out does not track with who the Miss Kim character, Mrs. Kim character is supposed to be. But her moving out on her own does track with who Lane is supposed to be. Right, right. And it's just, like I said, it goes back to this white female fantasy of, like, you know, the 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 soul, I guess, like, woman of color has to be, like, beneath Rory. Or, like, right. not as good as Rory in some fashion. Because right. that, is, that is a white female fantasy. <laughs> um, so we actually cut Mrs. Kim some slack on the show. Well, the writers cut Mrs. Kim some slack on the show exactly two times. The first time prior to this was when um, um, Lane and Rory fucked up in some way. Um, they went someplace they weren't supposed to go. And then Rory asked her mother not to tell Mrs. Kim. And then Lorelai tells her straight up, listen, as a mother, I have to tell her. 
And this is when, like, the, the first time, one of the first times I felt like the Miss, Mrs. Kim character was given, like, actual respect on the show. Like, like because, uh, you know, again, she's framed as, like, this really, really mean, really strict parent. And then realized, like, look, she's not going to kill her. That's her kid. She's the mom. I have to tell her what happened, period, um, which I really respected. The second time was much, much, much later on when Lane is pregnant and about to pop. And she pretty much says like to her mom, you did everything for me. So I had to do everything for these kids, which simultaneously, like retroactively um, endears the Mrs. Kim character. But at the same time, pretty much sets it up like Lane's life is over now that she's going to have these kids. Um, but that's like literally two times where Miss Kim just got her just deserves for being a mom and being a present parent on the show. They consistently shit on this character and it's not cute. Let's talk a little bit about Jason and Lorelai. That was a mess. I feel like that's the type of relationship you get into or you should get into solely out of boredom. And in Lorelai's case, it kind of was right. She kind of was, she was fucking with Jason on the low, low because Luke was tied up in this Nicole situation. Right. And she was like, well, you're here and you're into me. So I guess like there's one episode where he like, they sleep together for the first time. And again, Gilmore girls is very PG as Alex um, had previously mentioned. So we never really get sex scenes. It's always cutaways, but the first time they sleep together, he then asked her to leave the bedroom and go sleep in a separate bedroom. <laughs> Which was crazy. <laughs> I was like, Sam, you need to put your clothes on and drive back home. I would have like, that would have been me. I would have been like, you know what? Let me just... <laughs> right? Let me just on and bounce. Like, I'm my good. pride could, My pride could not allow it. And I don't care how many jets are in the tub of the other bedroom. I don't fucking care. It's very much... It felt very, like, kind of... And he tried... He's, he kind of, like, tried to make the situation seem, like, not what it was. But for me, like, I just can't get over the idea that if someone has sex with you but then they can't share a bed with you that they're really just after you for the sex right like that's the point right and they're not even like going doing a good job of hiding it at that point (laughs) (laughs) um so i love jackson and sookie's like first kid i love that plot because i feel like for that plot like we got to see like sookie really be sort of like the center of of Lorelai and Sookie's friendship. Right, because this was her first baby. He's brand new. And Lorelai's child is grown now. She's in college, right? So maybe now we can stop talking about your kid and start talking about mine. (laughs) Right. And I love, I I think I just love everything about it. And it's really sweet. And I love, um, (laughs) one of the funny things there, uh, when they sort of talk about Sookie's like cravings and stuff that's really funny to me I think it's hilarious um I also and I also love I love Paris and 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 Rory's roommates Mm. I loved Paris and Rory's roommates I will say this again though I I can't stress this enough I am so sick of Paris and Lane playing second fiddle to Rory and I never felt that Paris in particular I never felt like she deserved Paris as a friend Par- Listen, Paris, like, when Paris covers, and this is, like, we, we've passed the season, but, like, when Paris covers for Rory, when uh, Dean sort of catches her, like, in a lie, 
yo, real bitch shit. Like real, real bitch shit like that. Like, um, and they become, I guess, genuine friends because I name a batter bitch. You can't, you can't. It's impossible. Don't do it. Don't try. Don't try. Don't try. Um, I feel like with Rory and Lane, we kind of have a more type of even killed relationship in terms of how like of how they do for each other. Right. But like, I really don't see a lot of Rory stepping out to do for Paris the way Paris did for her. Like, I did not see that. No, Um, not even like, I guess, like in an emotional sense. Right. Like she's not even because I get it like Paris, like. Paris is somebody who, like, just takes handles all her shit. But, like, emotionally, I think Paris is, like, very, like, sort of, like, fragile. Um, Yes. And you don't even sort of see Rory, like, being the friend, like, in in that way. Like, in, in, like, sort of, like, really trying to emotionally support Paris. Of, like, okay, like, it's okay. No, she's just like, Paris, you're da 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 da. Like, you're freaking out, Paris. Calm down. Calm like, down. It's like, no, like, she needs a little all, more than that. First of all, when someone's having a panic attack, calm down is, is useless at best and actually antagonizing at worst, first of all. <laughs> right. Um, and then, like, the second thing is, as you said, Paris is a very fragile person. And we learned this actually back in, you know, I want to say as early as the end of season one, beginning of season two. The, the hard shell that she, she you know, wears when she exists in the world is for her own protection. She has abandonment issues from parents who literally never showed up for her. Her nanny was the only person there when she graduated from high school, you guys. She's dealing with a lot of issues. And while... Lorelai has great moments of like um, both self-awareness, situational awareness, and like intuitiveness about other people's needs. Rory never has that. She lives very much in her own world. She is the most self-centered character on the show, bar none. Right. She absolutely. That's yeah. I don't, I agree with all of that. Um, Oh, I wanted to say season four, episode two, uh, at the end is like we see like a black girl like a visibly black girl <laughs> with like a really cute twist out and she speaks wait yes i remember like, shout, you know, out, sis. shout <laughs> out sis <laughs> and the actress's face is actually really familiar i think she's been on a lot of stuff since but like i just saw her and i was like yeah <laughs> although michelle is michelle is coded as like at least being mixed with black. Oh, yeah. I thought I thought Michelle was black, black. I don't know. Oh. Um I but, I always thought he was just South Asian. I thought I thought it was like a toss-up between black and South Asian. And then they showed there's like one episode where Michelle's mom comes on and she's and I'm like, oh, maybe like he's Haitian. And I was like, cause she or like they're Senegalese French or like, you know, mm-hmm. some, yeah, I something like Michelle that. Was- I always thought Michelle was French Caribbean. Like I was like, either Michelle's like of Haitian descent, maybe um, Martinique, um, because like he looks like a lot of the people, especially in Martinique in that region. And there are quite a few people living in that country in particular that are like mixed, like African and Indian. Um, right. 
so that like it, it actually makes perfect sense that you would code him as like being part um asian um the michelle um, character i feel like was their way of like hit, hitting two birds with one stone like right. make the black and gay character the same person <laughs> which a lot of shows do that like but like yeah you're right but it's only when we see his mom who is like you know dark skin and like very visibly black and then she speaks fluent french or like she there she's she transitions between french and english and it doesn't sound like creole um mm. to my ear you're you're probably a better judge um no she I'm, was definitely speaking french right uh it, that i'm like oh he's i guess they're from like martinique or like like you said or um uh there's just some sort of or maybe they're from france proper but like they're from little africa or something and it's almost become like almost becomes like a joke in itself right the way right. He says things is supposed to be hilarious which it feels like it- you yeah, like, like, it, 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 you know what it sounds like. It, it it kind of felt like they were channeling the Bronson Pinchot character from Perfect Strangers. Okay, that's what that felt like to me because he was like the gay man with the very funny French accent, and this one is that same character who happens to be black. And I feel I I think Bronson Pinchot's character from Perfect Strangers, and this was a show that was out in like the late eighties, was also in a similar line of work, like working in a hotel type thing. I definitely feel like he was the inspiration for Michelle. Oh, I was saying you're probably right because the Gilmore Girls is famous for doing these sort of small little homages to like obscure pieces of pop culture. So like, you're probably on the money with that. Yeah, but, like, if you guys get a chance, definitely check out, like, you can find clips of Perfect Strangers on YouTube. I love the Emily and Richard breakup and makeup. That shit was great. But the whole Dean and Rory trip, uh, but overall, season four was good. Season four was actually quite good. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't want to talk about Rory, like, having a whole ass affair with Dean and then, like, losing her virginity to him and then, like the wife although when the wife finds out that's epic <laughs> the wife um the that character i really love i believe i could be wrong the wife was played by ariel keeble yes who went on to play stefan's best friend lexi in the tvd yes um i loved her in that role because as briefly as she was on like um you could really it, you could her re- responses to the affair were very it tracked honestly with someone who was dumb enough to get married at 18 years old. <laughs> right. Um, and I just feel like Dean and, and Rory did this girl so dirty. Cause yeah, I had all the time in the world to fuck between the wedding between, um, Dean and Rory breaking up and this wedding, right? You right. wait until after you say I do to this girl and, um, to, to, to cheat on her with your ex and how is she supposed to compete with your first love fam? Damn. And then, like, I think it's dumb that, like, he breaks up. Like, he, he just throws away a whole-ass marriage um, for Rory, of all freaking people. <laughs> like, again, he's got her pedestal the way the entire town does. Oh, I just still dumb. I just, I just hate it. I don't, I don't want to talk about it. It's, it's a fantasy. We just have to ride the wave. It's a fantasy. <laughs> That's true. We got to ride the wave. Um, you just got to so be... What did you think of season four? Is it good, bad, or basic? I think it's... I think against my better judgment. Like, like I hate like I hate the affair plotline, but I do think 
writing wise, it, it was good. Like, I, I do think the season overall is strong. Um, and, uh, and it keeps me interested, but I hate that plot line. I think I, that's just a personal thing. Objectively, if I'm being objective, it's good. I'm in complete agreement with Alex. Um, ob- objectively, it's good. Subjectively, I wasn't fucking with it. I do think it was necessary, though, to take Rory off the pedestal for the viewing audience. Um, and in season five opening, and we'll discuss this in the next episode, Lindsay's mom, um, you know, um, confronts Lorelai and Rory while she's out with Lindsay. And, like, Lindsay's not saying anything. And Rory's not saying anything. But, like, Lindsay's mom is, like, berating Rory. And, like, Lorelai steps in and is like, you know, don't do this. You know, don't talk to my daughter that way. But in that, I just I had sex with Dean. Don't worry. It was great. It was fine. Um, you know, it was with my Dean. And then Lorelai's like, bitch, what? He's not your Dean. He's Lindsay's Dean. <laughs> and I feel like this was the first time her mom gave her some hard truths. <laughs> right, right, right. Real. Real. Like, so that was the first time that they really had like a serious disagreement on anything. Because R- Rory's like, again, living in that fantasy where like, of course my mom's going to approve of this. She approves of everything that I do. And she's like... You you fucked a married man, sis. This is not okay. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So I I felt the way that Lorelai handled it is actually what redeemed the situation for me. And again, the the Richard Emily subplot was mad cute. David um Davy Suki and Jackson's first child coming into the picture was super cute. Um, um, so it for me it definitely straddled the line of good and basic. Uh, Miss Kim throwing Lane out, Lorelai being with Jason. This shit was nonsensical. Luke eloping. First of all, he's not a spontaneous person at all. And right, because when Lorelai begs him to do it, he's like, "Oh, girl, I can't." Like, right. So, like this eloping with Nicole of all people, this fake again. I will always refer to it as. I'm gonna go with season four, episode two, Lorelai's first day at Yale. Season four, episode four, Chicken or beef season six and episode to remember episode eight die jerk episode 10 the nanny and the professor episode 12 a family matter episode 13 nag a scene in the mall episode 15 girls in bikinis doing the twist episode 17 or tick 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 boom uh, and then 21, Last Week Fights, The Week Tights. And then 22, Raincoats and Recipes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like when it comes to Gilmore Girls, this is this is one of the shows I would say. Start to, Agro Rory really starts to like rear her ugly head. Um, and we'll begin to like really get like, ugh, Rory. Um, next episode, though, it's like that's when we'll be, at least that's for me personally, that's when I'll be in my bag because... <laughs> this back half of the series is like where I'm at same I actually really love the back half of the series and I think the reason we both feel this way and this is speculation on on my end a um white woman fantasy to a white wealthy reality if that makes sense yes that's (laughs) what that's what it is yes you're that's that's it you're on the money that's that's what it is it goes from being a white woman fantasy to like the the reality of like white whiteness and wealth and how that plays out in life. And I, and I, and I think I like the honesty of it and we'll we'll get way more into that 
particularly when we talk about my personal favorite, Logan Huntsberger. <laughs> yeah, I fuck with Logan Huntsberger heavy. I also fuck with his father, Mitchum Huntsberger, because Same, man, when he when he told her when he told her, listen, you don't got what it takes, kid. I was like, thank you. That's a public right, service like, you just rendered. You ain't that bitch. Like, don't don't get this twisted. <laughs> like. <laughs> Yo, like, and like, it might seem like we hate Rory, but like the thing, like for no reason, but I feel like we've been very clear about our clear reasons. I, about I feel like reasons. she's very, very self-absorbed. Um, she drops the ball in her friendships, particularly when it comes to Paris. I feel like she's very entitled and that's not entirely her fault. That's the way that she was raised um, by her mother and then in smaller part by the entire town of Stars Hollow. And then it's reinforced in this um, these very strong relationships with her grandparents. But at the end of the day, she is a self-absorbed white girl. And the fact that she doesn't lean into it and she in- keeps insisting that she's not the self-absorbed, entitled white girl makes her irritating. There you have it, folks. This is everything that we think made the first half of Gilmore Girls good, bad, and basic. In my opinion, the WB pulled off a small miracle, somehow spinning a show about fast-talking mother and daughter living in a town full of people who are living caricatures into a success. But a success it was. If you haven't already, be sure to check out our patrons-exclusive GBB Gilmore Girls Spotify playlist. And tune in next week when we'll be finishing up our review of this fake poor New England family and sharing more of our thoughts on these characters and how they were written and performed. Until then, look out for GBB's upcoming movie review for top tier patrons only airing this Saturday. Em and I will be discussing 2018 sleeper hit, A Simple Favor. You can follow The Good, The Bad, The Basic on iTunes slash Apple. Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play to listen to all of our regular weekly episodes on the go. If you love this sort of content, spread the word and become a show producer and patron on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash goodbadbasic. Your support allows us to keep bringing you our regular weekly content as well as exclusive bonus material. As always, be sure to check out our SoundCloud page, The Good, The Bad, The Basic. And of course, be sure to follow us at Good Bad Basic Pod on Twitter. Until next time. Bye, Bye. everyone.